Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to know more about Team Rhino Outdoors, check out our website, teamrhinooutdoors.com. Our co-hosts today are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And if you want more information on their company, check out muskiemayhemtackle.com. The guest we have today is Mike Olson. He's the owner-operator of Mo Muskie Bait Company and Guide Service. Mike also fishes the PMTT, the Professional Muskie Tournament Trail. And he's also written some articles for Muskie Hunter Magazine. How you doing today, Mike? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So, Mike, typically first-time guest, since it's the first time you've been on the podcast, we always look for a background on on the uh, person we're talking to that day so the listeners have an idea, you know, what's up with you, where you came from. So if you could, why don't you break down a little bit about your guide service, your bait company a little bit, and then we'll get into some questions and answers and Hopefully somebody will take something away from this one to help catch a couple more fish. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Like you said, my name is Mike Olson. Uh, I own a bait company and guide service called Momuskie Bait Company and Guide Service. Uh, I'm located in northern Wisconsin. I guide on waters like the Three Lakes Chain, the Eagle River Chain, Big Arbor Vita, the Manitowish Chain, lakes in Vilas County primarily. But next year I'll be also adding Green Bay and uh, the tributaries of Green Bay to that list. I just uh, got my captain's license a couple weeks ago. I also uh, own a bait company. I make custom crankbaits and jerkbaits, primarily crankbaits, but I've also got some new jerkbaits that have been, that a lot of guys are really excited about and that have been putting a lot of fish in the boat the last couple of years. Uh, my six-inch profiler jerkbait has been carried on Team Rhino Outdoors website, obviously, and uh, he also has uh, a couple of my crankbaits, my six-inch BB shad. But really why I got into making baits was I was big into fly fishing for a long time and tying flies. And uh, when I moved back home from college, back to Wisconsin, uh, I was getting back into muskie fishing. And uh, there were some specific baits that I had that I wanted to function a particular way. And I started kind of tinkering with them and um, that led to me redesigning certain baits and uh, just trying to get baits to behave in a specific way that I thought was going to improve my odds and uh, give me an edge on the water. I never really intended to start a bait company. It just kind of happened. Um, you know, I had been tinkering with baits for a while and started building some of my own and then some of my friends got their hands on them and uh, I was just starting to guide and I had some clients get their hands on them and all of a sudden there was a little bit of a demand for them. So uh, I started the bait company uh, three years ago and it's been growing pretty consistently ever since. Basically uh, the way that I got to the baits that I'm at now was just um, a lot of trial and error and designing. I've essentially self-taught myself everything that I know looking for specific actions and baits that had specific functions. Um, my crankbait, the BB Shad, I specifically built. Uh, I wanted a six-inch crankbait with a slightly different profile and a very loud rattle in it uh, compared to some other baits that were on the market. Essentially, I wanted it for trolling behind inline player boards that it could run at higher speed had a slightly different action than some other baits that I had success with on the market. And it just kind of grew from there. So I guess that that'd be a good start for my background. 
So Mike, if people are looking to get in touch with you on a few baits, aside from finding some eventually on uh, our website, are you going to be at the Chicago Muskie Expo in a few days? Yeah, so I'll personally be at the Chicago Muskie Expo. I'll have my own booth. There'll just be a big sign that says Mo Muskie Bait Company and Guide Service with my logo under it. Uh, come by and talk with us. I'll have a few friends and pro staffers in the booth with me. This will be my second year doing the Chicago Expo. And then uh, also later this year in April, I'll be doing the New York Muskie Expo uh, in Mayfield, New York. Yeah, also... I've got a website, uh, dot com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Mo Muskie Bait Company and Guide Service. I'm on Instagram also. I haven't been posting as much lately just because I've been so busy building baits. This time of year is kind of a scramble for me, trying to get everything ready. But um, you can get a hold of me there. Oh, unfortunately, I think this time of year is a scramble for almost all of us. I know that Brad and I still have some work to do to button up before we get out of town. Uh, tomorrow is travel day for us for the for the Muskie Expo, and I'm still not all the way ready. As per, it's pretty pretty usual for us, though. I'd say that's typical, Jeff. You know, <laughs> it's always crunch time. You know, you got Christmas, then you got New Year's. And you're scrambling to try to build baits. And then it never fails. You're going to have some retailer, in my case anyway. I'm sure you're waiting on baits from companies. But from us, uh, you know, you get a retailer that's, hey, I, I need baits. I need them before the show. So you're dealing with that as well throughout that whole time frame. So, you know, it's kind of crazy. We get some family time in, but we end up working a bunch of it too. So. It's all good. It's uh, the way it is, I guess, when you're in this industry. One question I got for you, Mike, is, um, you know, you said that your baits, you have uh, specific uses and things that you like to do with your baits. Do you, you know, do you somehow list that on your website? I need to go to your website, check it out. Yeah, a little bit. Um, my website, each bait has a little bit of background on why I built them, for what reason. I also... Uh, wrote an article that was in Muskie Hunter a few issues ago. I think that it was in maybe the May or June issue of 2019. It just talked about one of my crankbaits and building baits for specific purposes and why, like what I look for in them, what I look for in action and how I arrived at certain baits. Uh, that particular article was talking about a six inch jointed crankbait that I make called uh, Split Shab, and uh, essentially I was looking for a uh, jointed crankbait that had good action, even at slower speeds, had a loud rattle, had a modest dive curve. I was looking for something that uh, basically for fishing at night on Green Bay and other highly pressured waters, and I had some success with some larger jointed crankbaits on other waters at night, so I wanted to take some of those attributes and apply them to a smaller bait that would match our bait fish size and profile a little bit better. And I arrived at my six inch split shad, which has been doing really well, especially for us at night. It just has a little bit louder rattle than some of the competitive six inch baits on the market. Um, it's got a slightly different action. The main thing that I wanted was something that wouldn't dive too deep, wouldn't dig too hard, but still had a hard thumping action. Even at slower speeds, uh, I tend to slow down quite a bit after dark. 
I noticed with a lot of the jointed crankbaits, especially the smaller jointed crankbaits on the market, once you get down to like two seven, two eight miles an hour, it ends up the baits end up losing a lot of their tail kick and they thump considerably less hard. So I really was looking specifically to be able to have a bait that still thumped really hard and had a lot of tail action, even when I was down to 2.8, 2.9 miles an hour at night. It seemed like a lot of the bigger fish that I was getting to eat after dark really weren't wanting to eat anything at higher speeds on the fisheries that I had been fishing. So that's essentially what I was looking to do. Some of the similar baits that I had been running, I was getting some results with, but only at some of the jointed baits, only at higher speeds, like three, four to three, six miles an hour. And I wasn't getting any of the really big fish that I was seeking to eat at those higher speeds after dark. So that's kind of how I arrived at that that specific bait the split shad but um also some of my other baits like my six inch profiler which is on the team rhino site that's a dive and rise bait but really it's more of a hybrid bait it's uh you can work it a lot more like a glide bait it has a lot of travel left and right with uh sharp snaps of your rod tips basically i wanted a floating glide bait i was noticing especially in the spring i built that bait for the spring but um, especially in the spring with glide baits, uh, I was getting a lot of fish to eat much after a much longer pause. And I was looking for a bait that I could hang out there on a long pause without letting it, getting it to sink. So I had originally started building that bait as a glide bait that I was looking to make essentially neutrally buoyant. Throughout the process, I ended up with a bait that, was a little bit more than neutrally buoyant so it floated and it still had the wide gliding action that i wanted the bait that i arrived at ended up putting a lot of fish in the boat when we were prototyping it and it kind of developed from there so a lot of baits that i end up making result in they don't end up uh, having the action that i initially looked to find from the bait when i was building it so uh, that bait I kind of made by accident. Like I wasn't specifically trying to make a dive and rise bait. Uh, just when I was prototyping those six inch glide baits, I ended up with a floating model and that one ended up getting bit a lot. So uh, we went from there. I think that a lot of the baits on the market today, there aren't a lot of baits that fit very specific uses and have very specific uh, applications. Um, I try to think of every lure as a tool and try to build every lure to fit a very specific need instead of just having like the idea of a favorite bait. I try to think of every bait to be able to perform a specific way in a specific situation, whether that's, you know, running at a certain depth in the water column or the way that it contacts bottom or its action during a specific condition. I think that having situational specific tools really helps up your game, gives you an edge on the water. Let me ask you this, Mike. It sounds like you're, you do a bunch of trolling. Is that correct? Are some of your crankbaits designed for the casting application as well? Yeah, I do have some casting crankbaits and I do troll quite a bit. I think that I've got kind of a reputation as a troller. Really, I didn't get super into trolling until they opened trolling in northern Wisconsin back in, what, 
was it 2014 or 2015, Jeff? Do you remember? I think it was 20. Is, let's see, what is it? 2019. I think, I think it was, it was 2014. Is it 14? I was it, it was 15? 15. It might have been 15. I don't remember. But I thought my daughter. That was when I really, uh, really got into trolling on the level that I'm at today. I mean, I grew up casting for muskies and fishing with my dad growing up you know the majority of the year when we were fishing if we couldn't see weeds under our feet we were essentially lost you know northern wisconsin jeff i'm sure that you had a lot of experience with this too back in the day we would essentially throw smallish bucktails or twitch baits and heavy weed cover or top waters over heavy weed cover so i grew up casting and i've spent a lot of time casting and i still would say that I prefer to cast, but ultimately I like whatever tactic is going to put fish in the boat on any given day, you know, depending on what the conditions are. I just want to be able to produce fish regardless of what the conditions are, or no matter what, any day on the water. So, but I do troll a fair amount now, if that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. I, I was just curious because, I mean, you were talking about speeds and you were doing, you know, we were kind of going down that avenue, so that's why I was wondering. I started trolling a lot in those years when the first year after it opened up in northern Wisconsin. I really, I'm kind of a self-taught troller. I had some friends who were getting into it who had been trolling for a while, and they got me started in the right direction. But, you know, essentially when I started out, it was like we'd throw a depth raider out or a couple depth raiders out or a depth raider, a believer, throw one of them back 30 and one of them back 50 and drive around until we contacted something. And uh, after a while, it started to get a lot more in-depth and intricate. I really started out trolling in a pretty basic way. So, Mike, you were talking a lot about trolling, and I know one of the tools that you use when you're trolling is the panoptics from Garmin. I saw your article in Muskie Hunter. Like I said, it was probably, I'm guessing it was close to a year ago or so. Can you talk a little bit about panoptics and maybe how it's tra- changed the trolling game for you? Yeah, and that's really where my trolling game stepped up to another level. I had been trolling pretty seriously and spending a lot of time trolling for two years before I had gotten panoptics. But uh, essentially, what happened was I was out ice fishing with a buddy and he had the new Garmin Panoptics system. Uh, he had the ice bundle with the standard Panoptics, the first generation. We were sitting there jigging for crappies and he was kind of showing me how the system worked and pointing it around in different directions. And uh, he pointed it in a direction and went and drilled a hole in that direction about 40 feet away and I was able to watch the auger drill through the hole and then the disturbance in real time and I thought man if I could point that at a crankbait trolling we could probably see some really cool stuff so I ended up the next spring I ended up getting uh, the Panoptics live scope system which is their higher definition uh, version of Panoptics and uh, messed around with it a little bit and kind of figured out a good way to use it. Started trolling and pointing panoptics at my crankbait. And it really has been a game changer, but uh, really one of the most important uses for it that I found is just knowing exactly where my baits are, what depth they're at in the water column at all times, being able to get them really close to structure without snagging. You know, line counter reels and dive curves are far from perfect. And after running Panoptics, I found out that 
the majority of the baits that I had been running, uh, I was running them way too deep, way further back than I should have been. Um, some were the opposite where I wasn't running them far enough back, but, um, before Panoptic, they used to drive around on a flat spot on our lake and I would experiment with different baits and see where they were ticking bottom at, like how far back they were. So I had a fairly good idea of where my baits were in the water column, but Mike, before you go any further, yeah, can you, for the people who don't know, can you explain, cause we talk about the hummingbirds, um, mega side imaging a lot. Um, can yeah. you explain the difference between the side imaging and panoptics for those sure. of us who don't know the total difference? Yeah, that's, I think that's a good idea. So basically, Garmin's Panoptic, Panoptic Live Scope. Uh, when I say Live Scope, that's Garmin's higher definition version of Panoptic. So it's essentially, it uses a higher frequency sonar, just like Mega Side Imaging does. Um, and it gives you a clearer image. But the key thing about Panoptics and Panoptics Live Scope is the ability to point the transducer in any direction that you want um, and be able to see images in the direction that you're pointing the transducer. It's not a fixed transducer like a side imaging transducer is where you're just seeing images to the right or the left of the vessel or straight below the vessel. Uh, with panoptics, you can point it. I have mine mounted on my trolling motor so that with my iPilot remote, I can just push a button and turn the direction that I'm pointing it. And you can see objects from surface to bottom up to a hundred feet away from where the transducer is on your boat. So the main reason that I bought the system was, uh, I wanted to be able to watch my crankbaits in real time. That's another difference between traditional sonar and side imaging and panoptics is that you're getting a real time feed, essentially like a video feed, but with sonar. So, you can watch things happening in real time. It's not still image played continuously one after the other, like what side imaging is. So it's almost like watching video monitor, like a CCTV camera, but with sonar data, um, if that makes sense. But the main reason that I got it was I wanted to be able to see fish following my bait. Um, when, when you're trolling for muskies, I figured in the past that there had to be hundreds of interactions that we had no idea were happening because obviously you're not getting any feedback from a following fish unless it actually eats your lure. It's not like casting where you can watch a fish follow and you're still getting data points even if you don't have a fish that bites. So I wanted to be able to see those interactions. That was what gave me the idea to use panoptics for trolling. But um, really what I use it for most now is just knowing exactly where my baits are in the water column and how they're relating to the structure. Uh, I do watch a lot of fish follow too. I mean, that's another key feature of it is being able to see fish follow and eat. And that, that'll help give me data points where I can change my presentations based on if I'm getting, for example, like say I'm out, I'm running a couple of days on a new body water and I don't have an established pattern. After an hour, if I have a couple of fish follow slowly and lazily, you know, far back from the lure, not really making an effort to eat it, uh, I'll, I'll change my pattern. I'll go to something maybe a little bit less aggressive. Typically now I start out with big, loud, um, attention-getting baits 
just to get an initial interaction, like an initial data point. And I'll kind of go from there and change to more natural, subtle, finesse type presentations. So if I start out and I have a couple of hot follows right away where the fish, you know, darts up really fast or it gets to the same depth in the water column as the bait or makes, you know, it's acting squirrely, it gets up and kind of short strikes at it or something, then generally I won't change much. I'll, I might speed up a little bit or I might put on the same bait in a different color. But um, typically if I start getting those types of follows, I'll uh, know that I'm pretty close to where I need to be. Just like in casting, you know, you have fish that come in hot, um, you're probably not going to change your bait. If I'm getting lazy, slow follows, uh, but I'm still getting interactions, then I'll typically change up a little bit more dramatically where I'll switch baits altogether or I'll go to a different color pattern or I'll switch speeds. Basically, it's giving me a bunch of different data points that I would have otherwise not had if I wasn't running panoptics. Uh, like I said, the only way that you get feedback when trolling for muskies is if you actually get bit. Um, otherwise, kind of going off of past experience and, you know, making educated guesses. Uh, if you drive around, if you're trolling for 10, 12 hours on a new body of water that you haven't been to before and you don't have any previous data, if you don't get it, you know, it's hard to make any determinations as to what you need to change. So it just gives us a way to systematically break down, especially new water, and find new patterns on existing water gives me a lot more data points to work with because I'm able to see interactions without fish actually biting. I was just fortunate enough to be the guy that had the idea first, I guess. I'm sure that someone else would have thought of it. I just uh, happened to get it right when the technology came out and kind of had that light bulb moment. moment. And I wrote, wrote an article that, they published in Musky Hunter after that. It really is a special new technology. It's, it has a lot of other great applications too, not just for trolling, vertical jigging and sucker fishing, just being able to watch fish interacting with your baits in real time. And then also I use it a lot now for identifying different types of bait fish and getting really clear images. Like if I see something on my side imaging that I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at, you know, after a while of using any system, you get a little bit better at being able to identify what you're seeing. But um, there's times where you see something that you're not quite sure what it is. And in a situation like that, I'll drive up and just get right over it and look with the panoptics and be able to see. And uh, it's really helped me kind of identify different types of bait fish, especially in the summer. We have a lot of bait fish that move out in northern Wisconsin. We have a lot of bait fish that move out over the main lake mud flats and they'll suspend eating aquatic insect life. On my traditional sonar inside imaging, I would see all these little plops of schools of bait fish. And since I've run panoptics, it's really given me an idea of, you know, which schools of bait fish are larger, like larger crappies will show up as a bunch of individual marks and they'll tend to be stacked kind of more at a vertical type presentation you'll see a lot of like we call them crappie towers a lot of the really small fry that muskies might not necessarily be very interested in eating uh, like a lot of the perch fry and 
walleye fry still show up on my traditional sonar as they almost look like noise. They're just kind of little blobs of green and blue. And on panoptic, you can see all those little individual, you know, half inch to one and a half inch long minnows moving around in schools of bait. So it really has opened my eyes to which schools of bait are more relevant, just getting those more detailed images. So that's helped a lot too. I also use it a lot of times now uh, when I'm trolling on big open places or if I'm trolling like open water mud flats, like I was just talking about, uh, I'll just, after a while, I'll start kind of scanning around left and right with the panoptics, just looking for a big mark. Um, Muskies will stick out like a sore thumb in open water like that. Or if I'm trolling on like a sand flat, like on Green Bay and 10 to 12 feet of water, muskies really stick out a lot on the sand because there's not really anything else to confuse them with. And there's such a, everything else around them is so soft. It's such a hard object that it's really easy to pick them up. So when I'm driving around, I'll just kind of scan left and right with it. And if I see, if I get a mark, then I kind of steer towards it and get it, try to get a clear image of it. And a lot of times I end up being able to put a fish into my trolling spread that otherwise I wouldn't have had a bait run past and end up getting them to eat. So it really does have a lot of different uses. And it's by no means like an end-all, be-all. I mean, electronics are only as good as the applications that you have for them. Yeah, it, it really has opened a lot of doors and put a lot of fish in the boat for me otherwise that I probably wouldn't have caught. It's also just kind of helped me understand my environment a little better and really understand what's going on beneath the surface of the systems that I'm fishing a little bit better. That's kind of a broad general rundown of panoptics and the way that I'm using the system. I also give a seminar on this. I I did a few seminars last year and uh, I'm doing a couple this year. It's a good information packed seminar. Just I elaborate a little bit more in detail on some of the things that I was just talking about now. Yeah, if you have any information on it, this last season, I had a lot of clients that either read my article or saw me give a seminar on it, and they bought Panoptics and wanted to learn how I'm using it. So I had a lot of clients that specifically hired me just to learn how to use Panoptics or how I'm using it on my boat. I really can help cut the learning curve quite a bit. It's a fairly easy system to figure out, but some of the settings get a little tricky, especially where using it in a way that it wasn't necessarily designed to be used, especially when we're trolling. I mean, we're driving around three to three and a half miles an hour, pointing the transducer directly backwards at our base. It wasn't necessarily designed to be pointed in the direction opposite of what you were driving. So we do have to change the settings around a little bit to get the noise reduction and the gain high enough to pick up objects the way that we want. Once you, uh, once you get a basic understanding of it, it is a fairly easy system to use. Let me ask you this. One of the things that I've been curious about, I know like Jason Quintano, I've talked to him about it. He's been using it, doing kind of some of the same stuff you are where he's watching his bait. I want to understand what the field of view is. So I don't know when you're trolling, are you, do you ever run a mass system, Mike? I don't personally run a mass. I, I spoke with Jason quite a bit about this last year at the expos actually. Basically, Panoptics uses 
has a similar arc. So a traditional sonar cone has a 20 degree arc for your field of view, your sonar coverage. So that's uh, your cone, it'll be a 20 degree circle. So I think that that means if you're in 20 feet of water, you've got four feet of round surface area that your cone is covering on the bottom. Uh, I think four is 20% of 20, or I guess to make it easy, in 100 feet of water, you would have 20 feet of bottom coverage with a 20-degree round sonar cone. So Panoptics uses a sonar cone that emits a 20-degree wide arc by a 135-degree tall arc. So it results in like a big oblong oval. And there's two different views that you can have the transducer pointed in. If you've got it in down view, it'll be that oval shape on the bottom as opposed to a round circle uh, where it'll be in the direction that's pointing. It'll be much longer, but still the same width as a traditional sonar cone. And then um, when you've got it in forward view, that oval is able to give you surface to bottom coverage, but then still only 20 degrees wide. So basically when I'm, what that means is when I'm trolling uh, on my boat, I've got a boat with a 96 inch beam with the trolling motor on the bow on the trolling motor or with the panoptics transducer on the trolling motor pointed straight back. I can pick up two down rods in the same sonar cone, or I can pick up a down rod and an out rod at the same time. It gets a little tricky pointing it at planer board. I can typically get my inside planer board, the board that's closest to the boat playing with the angle to be able to get the bait and what's behind it is a little bit trickier with the boards, but the majority of the time I'm just watching either my down rods or my out rods. And most of the time what I'll do is I'll have it on slightly to the right or to the left, straight back, just slightly to the port or starboard side. And I'll be able to get the down rod and out rod on that side. And I'll just be watching two baits at the same time. When I'm running really long lines and tight sets, like on one of the lakes that I fish just west of Milwaukee and Pewaukee Lake. I run a lot of baits. We've got really bad floating weeds, so typically I don't run any boards. I'll just run two rods straight down and then two out rods at a 45-degree angle to keep the tips in the water to catch all the floating weeds. If I'm running those baits back, you know, 70 to 90 feet, the cone gets wide enough where I can see three, sometimes even four baits at the same time. But for the most part, I'm watching one or two baits at, at once. I know some of the guys with the math systems are able to get more than that, but I think that I haven't seen it personally, but I think that um, it would get a little bit confusing, you know, knowing which bait you're looking at and what bait the fish is responding to. I, like I said, I haven't seen it personally used on a boat with the math system. In theory, though, if your baits are running a similar distance, if you've got similar distance leads on your mast or on your baits that are running off the mast line, if they're a similar distance back from the line, you should be able to line up the transducers so that you can get all of those baits in the shot. It would just be a little bit difficult to know which bait is which on that screen. The reason I was asking it more so was to understand how many baits you can see on the you know on the system at one time so if you're running say three lines out the port side of the boat 
I'm curious if you can watch all three of those baits at the same time. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it depends on how close they are together but, and how far back you've got them. Because just like a standard sonar cone, the cone gets wider the further that it gets back. Um, but typically, like I said, with uh, if I'm running two down rods and I've got the transducer pointed straight back, I can see both baits even if I've only got, you know, 15, 20 feet of line out. Having, there are, guys use a lot of different systems. I personally run my transducer on the trolling motor because I've found that it's easiest. First of all, I don't only use it for trolling. I use it casting and jigging also. But the main reason that I've got it on the trolling motor is I've found that it's much easier for me personally to be able to turn the transducer just with a push of the button with my iPilot remote as opposed to I've seen a lot of guys use like uh, a pole that's clamped down either on the stern of the boat or next to the console so that they can manually with the pole and point the transducer in the direction that they want but it's it's essentially wide enough so that if you were running you know 20 to 40 feet back you'd be able to see roughly eight to 10 feet wide of an area so but uh yeah like i said it's not it's not perfect and really it takes a lot of trial and error to figure out um one thing that also i talk about this a little bit in my article and in my seminar but one thing that panoptics really opened my eye to was a lot of the data that i would be seeing on my traditional 2d sonar and down imaging was somewhat flawed in the sense that you're only seeing those images after your boat has already driven over those schools of bait fish or the fish that you're marking so i noticed um, a lot of times the noise or sound or uh, shape of the boat would essentially spook bait fish down to from where they were naturally spending their time in the water column to a depth that they were comfortable at. What happened was the way that I saw this happen was I was at Cave Run in Kentucky and fishing for the PMTT and I had just gotten panoptics. So I was still playing around with it quite a bit. I had been seeing bait fish. I was trolling open water. I had been seeing bait fish down 15 to 18 feet on my traditional sonar all morning. I was over like 40 to 50 feet of water in Scott's Creek. So I had been running a lot of my baits, you know, 12 to 15 feet down um, in relation to what I'd been seeing on my graph all morning. So I started to mess around with the pan optics and I turned it around. I had been watching my baits behind me. I turned it around and started scanning around in front of me. And right away I saw a ball of bait fish, a ball of shad, three or four feet below the surface, like 80 or 90 feet in front of me. As I drove towards them, I kept them in front of me, steering the boat. Once I got to be about 15 feet away, the ball of bait swooped straight down. And as I drove over them, I saw them on my traditional sonar, 15 to 18 feet below the surface. So a light bulb kind of went off in my head, like I'd been seeing bait fish on my sonar, you know, 15 to 20 feet down all morning. But really before they were spooked by my boat, they were naturally spending a lot of their time in three to five feet of water below the surface. So on the next pass, I ran my baits higher up and uh, I ended up going three for five that morning and one fish was a 51 and a half incher. So 
I had been running all my baits way too deep all morning long. I didn't realize until I saw with the panoptics that the bait fish were naturally spending their time much higher up in the water column. So that just kind of made me think like about all the times in the past where maybe I had been only seeing data after I had already spooked those bait fish down deeper than they were actually spending the majority of their time. So it really does give you different insights compared to uh, different systems that I've run in the past. So Mike, a couple days before the Chicago show, why don't you talk again a little bit about where people can find you at that show if they're coming out to the show and why don't you give them the website for, you know, any contact information they need also that way. Sure. Yeah. So, um, at the Chicago show, I'll be in a booth that it says just Mo Muskie Bait Company and Guide Service. There's a, I've got a big white sign with a black logo on it that says Mo Muskie Bait Company. And uh, you can also contact me off of my website, which is momuskie.com, M-O-M-U-S-K-Y.com. Also, uh, it's pretty easy to get a hold of me on Facebook or Instagram. You can just search for Mo Muskie on Facebook, and that'll take you to my business page. Um, feel free to reach out to me. My books are open for the 2020 season. The, my dates are starting to fill up pretty fast, but I do have a lot of openings still in June, August, and September. So um, if you'd like to get out, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'll be doing trips on Green Bay and in northern Wisconsin this year. So uh I'd love to hear from you. Stop by and see us at the show, too. I've got a lot of new baits that I'm pretty excited about that I'm watching this year at the Expo. And Brad and Carrie, you want to talk a little bit about Musky Mayhem Tackle? You can find Musky Mayhem Tackle at muskymayhemtackle.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram and YouTube. We should have a new YouTube video when this airs. It might even be out already. Also, you can follow Brad now on Instagram at Musky Mayhem Guide Service if you want to do that. He's got some pretty cool pictures up there. And you can also follow the Backlash Podcast, if you guys don't know, on Facebook and Instagram. What am I missing, Jeff? Backlashpodcast at gmail.com if you got issues, questions, comments on our podcast. Yeah, and we, we love to get questions, so if you guys want to hear something specific, message us on Instagram or Facebook or email email us, or even just underneath uh, one of our posts if you have a question there. We we love to hear questions. It gives us a reason to talk some more. Yes. Um, just to clarify, though, we aren't your, we aren't your fishing helpline, but we will, any of the questions that you propose, we'll try to get answered from some of our guests in the future. Brad, Carrie, and I, we still have businesses we need to run, so we're not there to answer. Like, if you're if you're going to email us on the water and be like, hey, today is whatever day. This is the conditions. What would you be doing that day? We're probably not going to answer that question, just so you know. Yep. Right? But, right? So, yeah. And you'll, you'll find us both at the Chicago Muskie Expo. You won't find me at the Chicago Muskie Expo. Sorry. Mm. But you'll find Brad and the boys there. Um, we'll be building custom baits, and we'll have the new rabbit girl, and we'll have the rabbit squirrels, and and a whole bunch of other stuff. And Team Rhino Outdoors is going to be at the Chicago Muskie Expo also, 40 feet oh, of a bunch of stuff, custom stuff. I don't know exactly what we all have coming together for that show exactly. We're still waiting on some last-minute things from some smaller guys, so pay attention to Facebook if you're looking for 
very last minute announcements and it also depends on what else shows up in the next few hours before we hit the road and go to that show if you want more information about team rhino outdoors on our website you can visit teamrhinooutdoors.com. we're a retailer in the musky world who carries a ton of musky gear so if you're looking to get geared up for the new season that's where you want to go teamrhinooutdoors.com. you can also check us out on facebook instagram and youtube um much like carrie and brad we should hopefully still have new youtube stuff because i've slacked off for probably oh, i don't know month and a half and haven't put anything out but it's coming it's hopefully gonna have some stuff on there already updated from recently so that's about it for backlash podcast thanks mike for coming out this week and talking about panoptics we really appreciate it and everybody have a happy new year yeah thanks a lot for having me on guys uh i will see you guys in a few days at the show thanks Sounds mike. good thanks mike yep. Bye. Bye.